Welcome once again to Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything. If you're wondering why in the world the podcast is called that, it's based on my book, which is called Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything, which is a book full of little nuggets of life advice. Uh, For example, show up on time. If you don't show up on time, people will start to lose faith in you. So I did a little chapter about that. And then I did a chapter about stop at lemonade stands because kids love it. It makes their day when you stop at a lemonade stand and send thank you cards because nobody send thanks you th- sends thank you cards anymore. So the book is still out there. I think it's sold out. We sold 5,000 copies, which I'm really proud of. Thank you if you bought one. But you can still get it used on Amazon. So that's why it's called this. But in the last few months, we've been focusing not on the book and little life lessons and nuggets and things like that. We stumbled upon a subject which has really been a very powerful subject to a lot of people, and we're going to continue that until we kind of tap it out. And I don't think we're even close yet. And I've talked to some people who are alcoholics and Alcoholics Anonymous uh, counselors uh, struggling still, lying about their alcoholism, but they told you and I the truth here on the podcast, people who are hiding it, people who wonder if it's a problem, people who are pissed at themselves because they'll stop for 10 days and they're really proud of how they feel and then they'll have a bad day and they'll go they'll go home and they'll drink a 12-pack. So I got an email and, and that's how I find out about you if you want to be on the podcast please reach out and let me know if you have a story. This is one we haven't really had before. None of them are like one we've had before, but everyone is similar in that sometimes people don't think that there are other people who are going through what they're going through. Megan wrote in to Dave Ryan at KWB. I've recently started listening to your podcasts as an alcoholic myself, daughter of an alcoholic, granddaughter of an alcoholic, sister to an alcoholic, ex-wife to an alcoholic. The addiction and struggle has encompassed my life as long as I can remember. I didn't have my first drink until I was 17 or 18, and I was sober by the age of 28. After, well, I will let her tell the story about what the low point was, and it's shocking, shocking and disturbing, and really scary. We'll get to the low point here in a minute. She says, recently, it was the four-year anniversary of my sobriety, and it's something I cherish every day. I'd love to be on your podcast, and so Megan is here. We're going to jump right in, and at the end of the podcast, we'll discuss a little bit about what she talked about, and then I would love for you to consider being on the podcast, if you are so inclined. Meantime, here comes Megan this week on the podcast. I was just talking to Megan before we recorded on the podcast, and Megan said that she has listened to every single episode of season six of this podcast, and every single episode pretty much has been about alcohol and drinking and addiction and recovery and all that type of thing, and you said you found it intriguing, Megan, which I thought was a really interesting word. What have you gotten out of the last few months of podcast, Megan? Yeah, um, super intriguing with hearing everybody's different stories and how everybody is affected differently with alcohol, whether it, um, you know, you're in recovery, you're debating whether or not to try uh, a sober lifestyle, or, you know, you're still struggling. And I think us as a whole group of people who have had an issue or struggle with alcohol, I think we can all relate. And it's fascinating to hear everybody else's story because you don't get to hear people in their own words, on their own time frame, 
telling you their struggles. And I think, I think it's a great thing that you're doing. Uh, well, thanks. And, and I, and I agree with that because it is just not something that you sit down with your friends and just start talking about your struggles with drinking. Uh, you don't talk, you know, we all put this face out there in public and even to our friends and family, that is the face that we want them to see. And a lot of the time we go home and, and we have a different face, slightly different face. And sometimes we're hiding something. I think that a lot of people underreport or don't let people know how much they're drinking. And uh, some people don't let other people know how much they're struggling. I, I don't want to mention this particular person by name, but there was somebody on the podcast a few weeks ago who really, really was struggling and uh, they continue to struggle. And just out of curiosity, I was reading through one of their emails last night and I looked them up online and uh, it was surprising because she did not look anything like what you or I might expect somebody who's struggling with drinking to look like. And don't you think that's a fair statement that they look like everybody else? They could be the barista down at Caribou. Yeah. They could be the guy that comes to fix your washing machine. They look like the guy next door, or the woman next door, or the woman next door's kids. Just to totally normal people. I mean, people would never look at you, I'm going to guess, and have any idea that you're anything except a wonderful mother and a Minnesota native. Yep. And it, you know, we, we hide it well, we do. You wouldn't know the difference looking, you know, in the checkout line at target, you couldn't pinpoint an alcoholic, no. um, but it's part of the hiding it. Let's talk about your background. Everybody has a little bit of a different story and background and uh, you have what you could say is a pretty extensive family history of alcohol struggles, right? Yes, I do. So <clears throat> I am, I'm the daughter of an alcoholic, a severe alcoholic. Um, I'm the sister of an alcoholic. I am the granddaughter of an alcoholic. Um, I'm the ex-wife of an alcoholic and oh I'm gosh. an alcoholic myself. So oh. it's, you know, from a very young age, um, it's been all encompassing in what my you, life. What do you remember you know, kids, when you're five years old, everything seems normal because you don't know any better. What mm -hmm. age did you first start seeing something and what did you see and how did that affect your childhood? So I first remember um, seeing my parents fight a lot. And my dad always seemed super angry. Um, and then I would see, I don't know if they even still make this beer, but Ice House. Okay, um, I've heard of Ice House, sure, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I would see bottles of Ice House in really odd places in our house. Okay. Um, like hidden, that, like somebody who didn't want you to see them. A hundred percent. Okay. Yep. Um, so I remember seeing that and just being super confused. You know, I didn't ever ask my parents, you know, what are these bottles doing here? Um, just kind of went on with my life and I had a great childhood. I mean, I was kind of wrapped up in, in my own little Megan world. Um, and then I remember my sister coming to tell me, you know, she had went to take a drink of water off the kitchen counter and it was vodka. Oh my and, gosh. Wow. How old yep. is she? How old was she at the time? Do you guess? Uh, I want to say eight or nine. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. 
Yep. So she didn't know that it was vodka per se, but Mm -hmm. she did know that it tasted funny and you brought it up to my mom. Um, Come to find out he was, he was drinking vodka like it was water. So mom was drinking vodka just like it was water. Just, and, and you were convinced she's having a glass of water. No big deal, but it was straight vodka. Yep, and it was my dad. My mom oh, it was your dad. Okay. Me, yep, is has not been affected by alcohol personally, um, but yeah, he was drinking it like water. Wow, middle of middle of the day, or it doesn't really matter. I mean, just he's drinking vodka like water. How did yeah. that? How did that? How did you react to that as as a kid? Did you have any idea what that meant, or at what at what point in your life did you realize this is kind of messed up? You know, it wasn't until I was um, 17, 18, that I actually took a hard look at what what alcohol was and what it does to you. And I would see, you know, my grandma at family get-togethers would always have the same glass and she'd always go to the same spot in the, you know, in the house to to fill her glass up with, with something in a weird bottle, but then mixing it with Diet Pepsi. Mm, okay. Um, So starting to put two and two together, um, and then realizing, you know what, I have a very strong history with alcoholics and I always told myself, you know, be very careful, Megan, it, it can be very easy to succumb to this addiction. Um, and so I didn't actually have my first taste of alcohol until I was 18 years old. Which is unusual, let's admit. I mean, most of us try something at our friend's house mm-hmm. or we get into mom and dad's booze when they're gone. But you were 18, and I think that's really interesting because you made a conscious effort to not get into that and to avoid it until that one day. Mm-hmm. Do, you remember yep. your, do you remember your first taste of alcohol and whether it had any kind of special like wow or powerful effect on you? I remember my first drink it was a wine cooler um and to me it just tasted good it was different it made me feel warm but nothing extravagant i didn't feel like i could take on the world or or anything like that it was just kind of at that time for me it was something to drink okay so when so a, a lot of people that's what happens in their life it's something to drink and they'll get drunk a couple of times when they're younger and then they'll learn to moderate and then they never really have a problem and they drink on weekends twice a month or, or when they go to dinner with their family or whatever. But that mm-hmm. it that's how did it go for you after you tried that wine cooler? What how did your problem develop? Um, shortly after I tried my first sip of alcohol, I moved to an apartment down by the U of M because I went to college and I was working in a restaurant and everybody else there were, were big partiers. So I was kind of stepping into this new scene um, and having people offer to buy me alcohol. And I, I didn't understand the extent of booze at that point. So I'm like, sure, grab me a bottle of this and grab me some of that. And, um, so in other words, other students would say, hey, I'm run down the liquor store, or a senior would say, I'm run down the liquor store, do you want me to pick anything up, right? Absolutely, okay. yeah. And it was I mean, it's part of college, because most people get out of college, and they, they you know have done their binge drinking or whatever, but it continued somehow to be a problem after college, or was it a problem during college, Megan? 
you know, it was a problem during college. I actually didn't finish college because of my struggle with alcohol. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I, you know, met a guy at work and we moved in together. He was a big partier and trying to keep up with him. I upped my, my drinking. Um, and it got to the point where we were drinking every night blackout. And in the beginning, you know, it didn't take much for me to get, um, to get drunk. I came to love that feeling of, I am funnier. Mm. I feel cooler. Mm-hmm. I fit in better with the people I'm surrounding myself with. Um, so yeah, we were drinking every night. Uh, we didn't do anything sober. Our lives revolved around al- alcohol. And before we paid bills, we made sure we had booze and we made sure we had enough to last, you know, cause back then, uh, liquor stores weren't open on Sundays. Mm, right. So, Not until uh, and, the last year or so. Right. So we had to have enough to get through Sunday and I wasn't even 21 yet. Wow. So getting people to purchase that for me, which back then my friends would do anything, you know, so they'd always run to the liquor store for me. <clears throat> so you and your boyfriend, you live together, you drink every night. And I think you might've said that, uh, um, that you would drink a lot of the time until you were blackout drunk. Oh, yep. And yep. I, I, I read something about blackout drunk. People are kind of confused. Like what that means. It seems like it just like, does that mean you're really drunk? It technically, it means that it shuts down a part of your brain that is responsible for the memories that had happened the night before or the few hours before they're literally not recorded in your brain. You might go, you know, you might walk down to, you know, McDonald's and you might stagger back home and you might eat and watch TV, but it didn't record in your brain because that part of your brain was so affected by alcohol that it's literally, you wake up the next morning sober and you literally, you don't remember what happened the night before. Was that kind of what happened with you? It was exactly what happened. Um, And it was the waking up, not remembering how I got to bed, you know, checking my phone, making sure I didn't, you know, text or call anybody and do something stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a nightly thing. So how does this progress from there? And, And let me just stop for a moment there. During this time, you're having a great time. You're loving life. Oh, I loved it. And you mm-hmm. had a, probably a great social life and friends over and you were invited to different places because you were a fun couple, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. A lot of fun. Yep. Did you ever at any point during that period of your life, Megan, say, Heek, I, we can't keep doing this? Or did your boyfriend ever say, we can't keep doing this? Or was it just like, life is good? You know, for the most part, life was great. I was living an amazing life. There was a moment where one night we didn't have any booze and surprisingly um, to myself, I was okay. I was like, you know what? We're not drinking tonight. That's okay. But he was freaking out. Mm. Um, And it kind of made me look at him like we should be able to go a night. That is scary. That's kind of an eye opener because a lot of people say, I can quit anytime I want to. I don't need to do this. But here was a night where he was kind of forced to quit and he Mm -hmm. didn't handle it well. Right. Yep, exactly. So where did this progress from there? So you're, you know, you're 20, 21, you're turning 21, you're living with this guy. What, what happens in your life next as far as your drinking and how it affected your life? Um, 
so dropped out of college, couldn't continue on. I my whole life was when can I drink next? What did you do all day? Uh, you were you work during the day or no? After I dropped out of school, yep, I went to work all day. Okay, and count the hours. That was the restaurant. That was the I restaurant, right? Yep. Okay, yep. got it. Okay, and you would uh, count the hours until you're like, I got four hours till I get out of here. Then I can go home and have a drink. Yep, every day. That came up with Big Jess on our first podcast because I'll never forget, I'd never heard anybody say this, that he would go to his daughter's basketball games and he would look at his clock or the watch, his watch and say, God, I hope this ends in time for me to go home and drink before it gets too late. So mm-hmm. then you would count the hours, go home, and what would, a, what would a night consist of just drinking, partying, having a good time? Yep, it was just, you know what, we set up shot glasses, pour a shot, chase it with beer. Mm. And then laugh, have a good time, play some drinking games. And it was it was that every night. Waking up, go to work, and do it all over again. After you, I mean, then you got married somewhere. Was this the guy that you got married to? It wasn't. So okay. that relationship didn't work out. Okay. Um, so my future husband, I met him in a bar. Um, it was actually a bar where I was drinking underage. Because I have always looked older than what I was. So getting into bars was super easy for me. Um, Met him in a bar and got pregnant shortly thereafter. In between meeting him and getting pregnant, I did get a DUI. Um, And I remember sitting in the jail cell. Oh, my gosh. So So you got a DUI, went to jail. I did. Okay. Yep. I remember sitting... And telling myself, you know, I'm never going to drink again. I, this is not worth it. There, I don't belong in a jail cell. Um, And it wasn't 48 hours after being out that I went back to the bar. Wow. There was a way to cope with, man, I just got busted. So you had something to deal with. And I think that that is something that some people say, I drank because I lost my job and I needed something or I drank because I was lonely and I needed something. Did you need something? Did you, were you trying to cover up any pain or any, anything like that? Or were you just drinking because you liked the way it made you feel? At that time in my life, I liked the way it felt. Okay. Made me feel invincible. And I think that's one of the powerful things. And I almost joke about this sometimes. It's like alcohol works. It's that's mm-hmm. that's the sad thing about it is it does help you forget your troubles. It does help you feel good. It's like any drug. It has a great temporary effect until right. you have to have more and more or until you wake up or until you realize, you know, the physical harm it's doing. Okay, so let's fast forward a little bit. So you get married, now you're married to a guy who also he you said your your husband, I'm going to guess that's now your ex-husband, also Correct. struggled with drinking. Yes. He did. Um, he, he, you know, he could down a 12 pack in a night. Okay. And during that time I was working third shift. So I'd leave my children with, with somebody who was getting wasted every night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the nights that I didn't work, we would sit at home and the minute, you know, five o'clock hit, it, there, the beer got busted out and we would drink all hours of the night wow. and we started having troubles in our marriages right about that time. Okay. And 
my husband told me I couldn't drink hard liquor anymore. And that's when I started hiding it. So he told you, because he noticed like you're drinking too much or you get too out of control or it's bad for your health. He started to hide the hard liquor, which of course never works, right? Oh, yeah. Nope. Never works. Nope. Never works. It's like hiding cigarettes it. from a smoker. I mean, I've had people, when I used to smoke, I had somebody take all my cigarettes, replace them with crayons, and they thought that was really funny. I was pissed. I'm like, yeah. screw you. Now I have to go down to like the holiday store and buy new cigarettes, you asshole. Uh, but it, exactly. doesn't, it doesn't stop you. What did you do when he would hide it? Um, you know, I'd find it. It was super easy to just run down to the liquor store yeah. and get more. Yeah. And then I was hiding it from him after that. So you would it, sneak into the garage or bathroom. Yep. Yep. The bottle of vodka went underneath the bathroom sink. That was one of my main hiding places because I, in my mind, he's not going to go under the bathroom sink. Like that's where we keep the cleaning supplies. He doesn't <laughs> go in there. It was a safe place. Um, was there any part of your mind, Megan, at that point that registered, holy crap, I'm drinking too much. My husband told me I can't, and I'm actually hiding booze under the bathroom sink behind the cleaning supplies. Did you ever step up back and go, what the hell am I doing? Not yet. Not yet. No. Okay. I, no, I, and you know what, my, I've kind of took a turn. Um, I, my marriage was extremely abusive. So that's when my drinking transitioned from, oh, I'm having a great time. I love this life to now I'm trying to survive every day, one day at a time. Drinking took the pain away. Um, it made me feel like I could tackle any obstacle that was going to come my way within my marriage. Okay. Um, it made me feel like I had a backbone when it came to dealing with my husband. So then it became, you know, it was a coping mechanism. Yeah. So when you would fight, you would have all of a sudden the liquid courage to stand up to him. And, uh, but that, that didn't work because I'm going to guess things got worse from there. They did get worse. Yep. They certainly did. Um, eventually my drinking led to, uh, stepping out on my marriage and, I know you're, you'd have nothing to do with drinking and driving, but there was quite a bit of that. Um, getting to and from this other person's house, mm -hmm. I couldn't do it without that liquid courage. Um, but it made me feel better. I wasn't at home being miserable. I felt more like myself. And I think I was getting accustomed to being drunk. Every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. Yeah. You've heard me talk about drunk drivers, and I just, you know what, I, I, I'm not judging here, but of course they are. It's a horrible thing, and you hear stories about, you know, I heard a story about a 16-year-old girl on her way home from McDonald's in the middle of the night killed by a drunk driver, and it's like, my mm -hmm. gosh, it's just so, you know, you can't imagine her losing her life and her family and that, the, what they've gone through and still go through all these years later. Um, yep. so, and, and you get that too. And I don't, I'm, I'm not here to judge that because we both know that drunk driving is terrible, but, but so now are you at a point where you're ready to leave your husband for this guy? Is that what happens next? I left my husband, uh, found a, a different job and continued to drink. It was now I'm a single mom. 
Mm. The nights that we get home, um, you know, we'd watch our movies together and the pain of being lonely was then taken care of by alcohol. My gosh. What was your low point, Megan? Um, uh, Because I know that it sounds like you're getting very close to your low point. What was your low point? Uh, My low point was actually my daughter's birthday. We did all of the fun stuff during the day and get home at night. You know, it's a school night, so they still have to go to bed at a decent time. And I... It's hard because I don't remember. Take your time. I I remember, you know, I had a bottle of booze in the kitchen cupboard where my my now partner, um, where we kept the alcohol. And I also had a bottle under the bathroom sink. And I would go between the bathroom and the kitchen just drinking vodka straight. And I, I ended up falling in the bathroom and I do not know how I got upstairs to our bedroom. When I come to my mom is there and she's got that mom look in her eyes. Like she's so disappointed. Um, and the police are there and the ambulance. And I was, I was put on a stretcher and carried out into the ambulance and taken to the hospital. My blood alcohol level was 0.38. And the cop looked at my mom and said, you know what? Most times, give or take, uh, 0.42 is fatal. So you almost, you, you almost, you almost died. You could have died. Who called the ambulance? uh, My boyfriend. Boyfriend. So the ambulance is called, cops show up, mom shows up, you have a 0.38 alcohol and you're in the stretcher on the way to the hospital now. Yep. And I was talking, I mean, I remember, you know, telling my mom, I'm super scared after I realized I was going to the hospital for falling, like, mom, I'm so scared. What am I doing? Um, and the cop told my mom the fact that she's talking right now and she understands what's happening means her tolerance is extremely high. Because most people would be in a coma or a comparable state with that high of a BAC. Right, right. What happens at the hospital? Does that, is that when you start to say, Megan, I got to do something? What happens at the hospital and what then changed your way of thinking about everything. That was, that was my rock bottom. Just the one, the one thought of, I almost died on my daughter's birthday. What a horrible thing for her. If I had died for the rest of her life, her birthday would no longer be about her. It was always going to be the day her mom died. And I was not going to let that happen. That's so powerful because you had all these different moments that when you were, you were told you're drinking too much, that didn't stop you. 
You realized you were partying all the time to blackout drunk. That didn't stop you. You were hiding alcohol under the sink. That didn't stop you. The DUI didn't stop you. The job loss didn't stop you. But what it was was really love, love for your daughter. And, and, and I commend you on that one because you did it kind of almost entirely for somebody else besides yourself because you didn't want your daughter in that moment of clarity. You didn't want your daughter to be 18 years old. Mom died on this day. 21 years old. Mom died in this day. 30 years old. Mom died in this day. That was a, that's a really compassionate thing to think. And it worked for you. It worked immediately. Immediately. Yep. And I, AA was never my thing. Um, throughout the years, it, it was demanded of me that I go. Tried multiple meetings, different areas. Um, it just wasn't my, my thing. So, can I, can Luckily, I ask you before I, I do want to find out what was your thing, but did you drink after that birthday ever again? No, no, that was it. That was it. Not a drop since then. Not a drop. Wow. That's so impressive. So then what was AA was like great for a lot of people on the podcast. It's yeah. great for a lot. Of, it was not for you. And I've heard that before too. What did, what did help you? It started off with, you know what, I'm like, there's something, I don't want to say there's something wrong with me, but there's something within me that needs some sort of help. Um, couldn't turn to my sister, couldn't turn to my dad. Uh, so I went to therapy and my therapist uh, didn't know until months into seeing her that she's also in recovery. Oh my gosh. Um, okay. And she started off my, my sober life with me and we just clicked. So talking to her and getting her insight on seeing things from an outside perspective, because, but for my family, they've dealt with a lot was so clear for me. So it started with therapy and then just doing research and I oof. realizing that, you know what, life is worth living. It's worth living sober and learning how to deal with life's challenges without numbing myself, without trying to take the pain away with alcohol. That's so profound, Megan. I, 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 I'm, I'm so impressed that you were able to stop at that moment, never relapsed. I want to talk a little bit about since you didn't do um, AA, you didn't go to a rehab center, you went to therapy, and you did your own homework. Would you say, is it fair to say that with your therapist's help, you kind of did it on your own with the help of the therapist? I Yep, I would feel completely comfortable saying that. Okay. And, it, you know, there's been days it hasn't been easy, um, but every day is so worth it. My sobriety is something I cherish every day. Um. And you know what? I'm still celebrating birthdays with my daughter. Does she know about that night? She doesn't. She does not. Not okay. yet. If it comes up, I'll be completely honest. You'll own it. Um, yeah, absolutely. But it has not come up yet. What did you do? Because I'm going to guess, and this is one of the things that I know that people have quit for three months or three days, or 36 hours, whatever it is, and then they get that craving or that situation that triggers it. 
you've had the situations with the cravings and the triggers or no? Yes. The first year wasn't cravings. It wasn't triggers. It was life's big moments like Christmas with the family. Everybody else is having a cocktail or a glass of Mm, wine. Why not have one? Exactly. Work parties. Everybody else is doing it. Why can't I do it? And it came down to learning tips and tricks. Like I was comfortable being sober. I didn't crave it. But one thing I've noticed is if you don't have a a glass in your hand, somebody's going to come offer you one. Really? Okay. So don't walk around empty handed. My go-to is I have sparkling water and I put cranberry juice in it. And if I have to, I put it in a cocktail glass from behind the bar because Mm. then it looks like a vodka cranberry. Um, So if it's the, you know, sometimes it was the glamour of it. Um, Still feeling like I fit in in certain situations, but doing it my way and learning how to do it all this time. I think that's so interesting. One of the things we've talked about on our show in the last week or so is if you don't smoke, nobody ever says, oh, why don't you smoke? But if you are out in a certain situation and uh, the bartender comes by or the server comes by and you get a Diet Pepsi, that your friend might say or your your acquaintance might say, oh, aren't you going to have a drink? Or they're like, let me buy you a drink. And you're like, I don't drink. And then mm-hmm. people want to quiz you. Do you find that people want to quiz you? Why don't you drink? And if they do, what do you say? I, every time I say, I'm choosing not to drink. And and, and do people let it go at that? They do. Yeah. So if you and I are out, I'm like, hey, Megan, let me buy you a shot. It's your birthday. You would say, I'm choosing not to drink. Yep. And sometimes it's, I'm choosing not to drink tonight. Um, I don't, I feel the less information I give the less questions are asked back to me. Because let's face it, somebody would be a real jerk to start quizzing you. Oh, do you got a drinking problem? Or did your <laughs> did the cops tell you? No, I mean, something like that. Somebody would be right. a real jerk if they pressed you on that one. Yeah. What would you tell somebody who, what advice would you give to somebody who might find themselves listening to this podcast because maybe they should, maybe they're curious and they also have whatever the equivalent is for them of a bottle of vodka under their sink. They're secretly drinking. They wait till the kids go to bed. Here was a big one around my house. I'll be honest with you. When Carson was little, um, this was years ago that I was wondering about my drinking. Carson was like 10 or 11 or 12 and uh, I would wait till he went to bed because I didn't want him to see Mm -hmm. me drinking Mm -hmm. three gin and tonics in a night. What would you tell somebody who was like me that, or maybe somebody who does hide the booze under the sink or out in the garage? I would tell them, you know, you don't have to hit your rock bottom to change your relationship with alcohol. It is a daily process. And once you feel ready, figure out how you want to do it your way. If you want to live a sober lifestyle, um, it's possible. And I have never felt so completely content and satisfied with my life 
than I have since I've been sober. The world looks completely different and it's beautiful and it, it can be done if I can do it um, and do it my way and what's comfortable for me, anybody can do it. You can make your own rules when it comes to your sobriety. Let's review some of the things that Megan shared with us that were so amazing. 0.38 blood alcohol content. And I believe that to get a DUI in Minnesota, it's only a 0.08. So she was 0.3 higher than that. 0.42 is like comatose death. That was her tolerance. She was awake in the ambulance talking, uh, hiding drinks under the sink, hiding alcohol. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. It's not uncommon. If you find yourself doing that too, I, I, I want to let you know it's not that uncommon. One thing that I'm running into over and over is, yeah, me too. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that there were people like that. Uh, the, another thing was that it's, it's helpful to have a, a, something in your hand, a glass, uh, my uh, experience is that sometimes you can just drink like uh, instead of a gin and tonic, I would have tonic with lemon, but I'd have it in the same glass that I'd have my gin and tonics in because it was like, oh, well, there's something kind of similar and it cured that craving to um, to have like a cold glass of something in your hand. Um, and it, it did not work for her to do Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think that's a... a, a uh, something that I've heard before too. Some people swear by it. I talked to Mary a couple of weeks ago and she went every single day on Zoom and on the weekends and I believe she still does and it works for her. So, uh, you know, I think you got to make it, want to make it work. I don't know. I don't want to try to pretend like I know what I'm talking about because I certainly don't. I am here to take your stories and other people's stories and get them to a point where other people are able to listen. I want to tell you that it was really powerful to listen to Megan this week talk and kind of struggle through her story about almost dying the night of her seven-year-old's birthday. I could tell she was getting a little choked up and she wanted to get through it without kind of losing it. And that's what, what a story. I mean, my gosh, what a horrible ending it could have been. Love to hear your story. If you've got something that's like, you know what? People can learn from my story. And if you are still struggling there's no judgment here. There's no like, well, you know what? You need to get help or you need to try AA or it worked for just to just whatever. Um, there's none of that. So if you are in the middle of it, there's no shame. As a matter of fact, that might be really helpful because it's great and inspiring to hear from somebody who won the Super Bowl, but I might never win the Super Bowl. I want to hear from somebody who's still struggling to try to win the Super Bowl. And that's my analogy for getting to sobriety. All right, uh, that's it. We've gone on a little bit longer this week than usual. Send your email to uh, let me know if you want to be on the show, on the podcast, to Dave Ryan at kdwb.com. Thank you so much for listening to Take a Shower, Show Up on Time, and Don't Steal Anything, based on the book, which has nothing to do with what we've been talking about on the podcast for the last couple of months. But like I said, uh, it seems to be uh, getting a lot of, um, I relate to this reaction, and helping people to talk about something that nobody wants to talk about. And if this forum can open that door a little bit, then, hey, it served its purpose. Thank you for listening. You know somebody who can benefit from this podcast? Please share it with them.